This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley, and it's a very special episode of Box to Box this evening because it's our 200th show, nearly four years on from Adabu on the 6th of November in 2015. Now, of course, we'll do a little reminiscing, but we've still got a couple of hours of the best of world football from the past week, so... We'll get started, and while we're not going to completely throw the script away, we're going to tinker with it a little. First edition news will take a back seat this week as we open our show chatting to our former Notts County man and 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League, Dean Hennessy, live from Poland. Uh, he's back next week, but he's in Europe this week. Then we'll have a yarn with our old mate Rob Tanner from the world's leading digital sports publication, The Athletic, formerly of the Leicester Mercury. Our long-time listeners will, of course, recall that our journey with Rob began when we started the show in that famous 2015-16 EPL season. The year Leicester City, of course, barnstormed from 5,000 to 1 all the way to the most unthinkable of titles and Rob wrote a book titled 5000 to 1 about that. It'll be fun remembering those heady days and looking ahead to this uh, weekend's fixtures and some Champions League as well. Then with the A-League countdown continuing and Dino away, Willem Van Denderen continues in the hot seat to continue our club-by-club preview. This week it's the Wellington Phoenix and Melbourne City. In the second hour, as we always do, we'll kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matilda Central and another of our favourites, ESPN Asia's Scott McIntyre, to look at a story that's going under the radar in Australia, but he's certainly getting noticed in Japan, Ange Postacoglu's Yokohama F. Marinos, third on the ladder and a huge week in Champions League football, European football. Our former ITN man, Derek Dyson, is going to join us throughout the show as we look at all the results and we will, of course, wrap it up with stoppage time. And Derek's going to quiz Edge and I on the history of this show. Now, we've got Dino on the line, Edge, but, uh, mate, um, 200 shows. They said we'd never make it. Happy birthday, Rob. And happy birthday to you too, man. I tell you what, 200 shows, almost four years. Um, we've been we've been all over the place, haven't we? I mean, you, well, tonight alone we're in Poland, the UK, Thailand, and Japan. It's typical of this show, isn't it? It isn't. Yeah, it's the world game, obviously. And let's have a very, very big welcome to Dean Hennessy, all the way from Poland. Get that uh, hunter stew or that pierogi out of your mouth. I know you'll be you'll be eating some of those wonderful dumplings over there in Poland. I know who you're travelling with, and you would have been to every the best dumpling shops in. Uh, Krakow and Poland, uh, and also in Warsaw. Dino, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, boys, and yeah, happy uh, happy birthday. Great, uh, great uh, two hundred shows. That's uh, a lot of shows don't last that long, and uh, you know it's been testament <laughs> to the organisation that supported us. Hey, Dino, um, we're going to talk a little bit later on of um, some of Edge and my favourite moments of the show. But uh, putting you on the spot, mate, uh, uh, anything particular stand out for you? Uh, well, most probably. Um, when Big Marky was with us, and yeah. he did yeah. all those impersonations. That was yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that a bit later. That was funny. That was a, that was someone that comes from my own. But uh, I think that's one of the highlights. Is that we attract unbelievable guests. You know, uh, you know, there's no one that won't come on. And you know, um, and then probably the most awkward one was with uh, our friend up at uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what was his name again. Um, the manager of Adelaide. Went, Come on, Ed, you know who it was. He got on quickly, didn't he? 
Oh yeah, I remember that one. That was his name, the uh, oh, you know, Spanish coach. Yeah, come on, say I've, it. Was, I've erased his name from my head. That it was. Uh, I'm going to get it while we're talking. So he's what? Former Western Sydney Rodgers coach. Yeah. He coached the Ollie Roos. He's been on Joseph Gombal. Um, so what didn't had happened upset, was didn't I upset him? <laughs> I upset Joseph. Well, I had to get into the diplomacy. You remember he was coaching. He was coaching the under 23s, wasn't he? He just and, hung up on us. And he, yeah, he, he Edge wanted to go down this political path, and he, no, 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 no. He was. He was. Uh, yeah, was. He just left, obviously, Adelaide United, and. Um, and Greg Griffin had given him a, a well and truly a, a, a decent pasting on the way out. As, and you thought you'd just follow up? Well, I thought Greg was really hard on him, so I, I, I was. I thought Greg was, as usual, you know, Greg. It's not not unlike Greg to to get angry and uh, you know lavish accusations of impropriety on anybody and everybody. That's that's what he does for a living. But um, yeah, he gave uh, he gave Yossip uh, an absolute pasting. So I just gave Yossip an opportunity to to give it back, except Yossip didn't like. Did he? Well, how do you remember that moment, Dean? Yeah, curly toes, that one. That was really bad. I mean, we didn't know where to put each other. We kept looking at each other going, where's this going? Um, Dean, I looked at me and I think think he's hung up. (laughs) He did. And then who was was that? I think it was Ben O'Neill, the FFA media manager. Um, I rang him up. I said, all right, Ben, listen, we're going to can that. Um, no, it was the Adelaide media manager. Was it? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it might have no, been. No, it was. Yeah. It was the FFA because he was with the anyway, Australian. Uh, anyway. That was funny. Yeah. We got him back on. We asked him a few Dorothy Dixes and he was And fine. we're going to talk to Rob Tanner next. That was a great uh, start to the, to the show, wasn't it, when we went through that Leicester, <laughs> uh, that Leicester title? Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I mean, that was unbelievable. That, that was stuff like where Nottingham Forest and the Aston Villas of the world were winning titles. It uh, took it all back to there and. Well, Derek's in the studio here with us, mate. He's probably got something to throw at you, Dina. Hello, Dina. Yeah, how's it? Uh, how are I'm all right, Derek. How are Arsenal travelling? Oh, well, look, I'm hoping to uh, deflect on as many questions as I can about that during the show. But we're uh, we're back to our form competition, the Europa League, this week. Um, not too far from you in Frankfurt, actually. And, uh, you know, what, what we've found with Arsenal is when they've had bad... Premier League results in recent years they find solace in this tournament for some reason they just go and they and they put a performance in and I fully expect us to uh, do that but I want to turn the table on you and talk about um, Derby County and Philip Koku not great start is it old Dino no it's been a poor start it was like it was only like two three weeks ago uh, if they won they'd go into the top three and you're going okay that's that's what that'll do but we didn't we got beat and it's been free fall, so yeah, there's, there's going to be a bit of a change there. Uh, I'm not saying change management, but a change in uh, the way that obviously they're playing. So, Dino, they've it's, got it's to go to Allen. They go to Allen Road this weekend to play Leeds. Yeah, that's uh, not easy. Is it? No, that's, that's not, not easy. easy. <laughs> no. And they're missing they're missing players like Mason Mount and uh, and the boy that went to uh, was at Liverpool and now I think he's at Bournemouth now. Well, um, can't think of his name. Tamori uh, as well. Harry Wilson. Yeah. Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson as well, that's him. Uh, yeah, and tomorrow, so look, it's a, it's a long season in the Championship, as we all know. So did, did, did you think, Dino, we were going to get you on to open the 200 show and just um, just start bagging you and bagging your team? I guess you no, did. No, no, nothing wrong with that. I've got, yeah. I've got big shoulders. What about the news of Hume City's fabulous uh, showing in the uh, FFA Cup this uh, week, Dean? Did that uh, make its yeah. way over to Europe to you? It did. I watched it on television. Um, was it on uh, it was Polish like on TV, Sky, was it? Was it on? No, 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 it was in England. It was on <laughs> Sky. So that was the day I was leaving. So I watched that, and I thought you did really well. Yeah. I thought they did, and I thought it was... Uh, but it was just a, like a late goal. And just, I, I didn't see that. I had to leave, so I had to get to the airport. Mm. But, 
yeah, look, a great showing. They've had a, they've had a good season, finishing the top six, and they had a good cut run. So it's been a, a successful season for Nick Hegarty, who we've had on the show. And exactly. I got them promoted. Way hey, Dino, way. I hate yeah. to jump in on you, mate, but we are running hard up against the clock, brother. So we will see you next week. All right, enjoy the rest of your trip. Safe travelling. Looking forward to it. Okay, and uh, great to chat to you. Congratulations again, boys. And to you too, brother. Thanks for being on 200 episodes. Throw uh, quickly to the break, and we're going to talk to Rob Tanner in the 200th episode of Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, welcome back to Box to Box. And if there was one guest who was going to lead off this show... It is the man that put our podcast on the map in many ways. We didn't know back in 2015, in November 2015, when we started this show, what was going to happen that season. So we we followed uh, the, the story of the Foxes and uh, we reached out to Rob Tanner, who was then at the Leicester Mercury, now, of course, at The Athletic. And he was gracious enough to follow us uh, on the journey throughout the course of the season as that incredible 5,000 to what one shot came through. So uh, we uh, this time he's not on a train. So uh, welcome back on a crystal clear line. Rob. Oh, great to be back. Thanks, guys. Mate, um, we, we remember it as if it was yesterday here. I mean, ha- how um, how clear are those memories of, of that wonderful season still uh, for you, mate? Oh, um, it was a, just an amazing time to see that fairy tale unfold and for me to have a, a front row seat to watch it all was incredible. It was just an astonishing uh, season. And as, I, you know, as we're speaking now, you know, with Tottenham, on the horizon, um, they were the big challenges that season, and nobody believed that Leicester City could go on and do the win the title. Five thousand to one underdogs to do it. Um, Tottenham were breathing down their necks, but they held their nerve at the end. It was just an astonishing time, and I think now it's changed the club. It's changed the uh, the Premier League in many ways because no side outside the uh, established top six have uh, have managed to gate crash those positions since then, and um, they've all raised their game and dominate in Europe and. But it was that season, we'll just all always remember that uh, as a, such an astonishing time. Hey, Rob, do you um, do you sense that there's a bit of a resurgence from the Foxes at the moment? Obviously, there was a bit of a post-Premier League winning hangover for the team and obviously the European adventure, which and, and obviously Ranieri and other managers moving on. Do you see under Brendan Rodgers, despite the result last weekend at Old Trafford, that under Rodgers they can be going places again this season? Like I just said about um, that title win changing things for the, the big six in terms of them raising their game, it's also raised expectation around Leicester City now. And, uh, you know, they've shown that anything is possible. And uh, there is a lot of expectation and a bit more pressure as well on Brendan Rodgers this season because, you know, he's come in with a big reputation of winning trophies at Celtic and the work he did at Liverpool. And uh, I think after the uh, Claude Puel reign, which didn't go down very well with the supporters, uh, they're looking at Brendan and there's high hopes that they can challenge for European football and perhaps even Champions League football in the future because there are a few of those heavyweights now that are starting to uh, struggle a little bit. And um, although that defeat at Man United was a little bit concerning because they didn't create a lot during that game, I think uh, their form up to that point is very encouraging. It's very positive. It's been a tough start for them. And I think they're just quietly going about their business at the moment. And I, and I think they are the club that everybody's looking at to uh, be challenging those that top six. Well, it'll be interesting. They've got a big game against Tottenham uh, Hotspur this weekend. Um, Rob, what do you, do you just look ahead to that match? What do you uh, expect from the Foxes? 
I think there'll, there'll be a reaction to the Man United defeat, I think, on home soil as well. They'll be at it. Um, they'll certainly be a lot fresher than Spurs were because they look very, very tired in the Champions League. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a few question marks around some of the, the form of some of their players, mostly Christian Eriksen, Deli Ali's coming back from injury as well. And, um, yeah, it's a bit of a, a tough time for Tottenham at the moment. They've got to come um, to um, Leicester now for a lunchtime kick-off, so there's not much time for them to recover. So it'll be very interesting. I think Leicester, like last week when they went to Man United, will have, uh, have high confidence that they can get something from the game, certainly get a victory. That's interesting. Now, uh, one player that we've just to change tack from one player that we've been loving following in the early early games of the Premier League has been has been Norwich City's Timu Puki, who scored for Finland in the international break as well. But um, not in his wildest dreams would he ever thought of sinking a winner against Manchester City. What a game that was! Oh, absolutely. And um, I started talking about the top six. Some of the clubs having trouble. Uh, Man City have got a few issues at the moment with uh, defensively now with uh, Stones out as well as the poor and uh, you could see um, on that game how you know they can be gaffed at at the moment uh, at the back and Pukki's in red hot form. It's a fantastic story the way he's come through and emerged and, and uh, scoring for fun in the Premier League and uh, I think fans of other clubs will really enjoy that story as much as they enjoyed the Leicester City story of 2015-16 see you know somebody like Pukki coming in and. Uh, and taking it to sides like Man City and causing them trouble, it's um, it's fantastic to see. It was just the way they played, though. The combination of passing, playing out from the back, the commitment to um, that attacking style. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the gaffer has been um, telling anyone who wants to listen about what their plans are this year, and um, it was just it was just a very and special, the atmosphere just um, a very special was, day was for, for that club, at, um, Carrot. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a great atmosphere when you go there, and. Uh, what I like about them is they're very positive. If they're going to go back down, they're going to go back down on their own terms, playing their way. They're not going to show any fear. I have got concerns about them defensively. I saw them the opening day at Liverpool, and uh, they were gifting uh, Liverpool goals that day. And I thought, if they're going to defend like that all season, it's going to be a long, long season. But the positive is they're not afraid to play. They're not afraid to get the ball down and pass it and, and, and be brave. And when I say brave, I don't mean about flying into tackles and, and putting your head where it hurts. Sometimes bravery is about taking the ball under pressure, taking the ball when there's people around you, not being afraid to lose it. And uh, they've certainly shown no fear so far. So uh, hopefully they'll get rid of their reward at the end of the season. But I still think they need to tighten up defensively. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport, our 200th episode of this show. We're talking to the Athletics' Rob Tanner. Yeah, Rob, I just want to talk about Liverpool briefly. Obviously, five out of five won against Newcastle last weekend. And, um, you know, you feel like for Manchester City, you know, just losing one game, it seems to be a bit of a crisis. I remember the days when Alex Ferguson said you could afford to lose five or six games and still win the league. But it seems like one is going to be a problem. But, how, you know, how do you rate their start? Obviously, a bit of a, a blip in Europe this week. And really interestingly, they're going to be at Stamford Bridge this weekend against against the um, the old enemy, who are a bit of a mixed bag too. So how do you rate Liverpool and what do you think is going to happen this weekend? They've carried on from last season, haven't they? I mean, you talk about only uh, affording one uh, slip of a season well they only lost one game last season they still didn't win the title which was astonishing I think that says it all really about uh, Man City um, their relentless winning streak that they went on at the end um, yeah it's interesting with uh, that gap opening up now from between Man City and Liverpool because they're, they're the only two sides that I think realistically can win the title this season and uh, Liverpool obviously have been uh, stung by uh, missing out last season but obviously buoyed by winning the uh, 
Champions League and uh, they've started the season domestically very, very well. Again, it looks a little bit off it in the Champions League the other night. Mane's been in good form for him. He's key. He's got to get Salah firing again. And uh, I mean, I Firmino was on the bench uh, against Newcastle. Come on, what an impact he has. And when you look at that front three, you think it's such a fantastic front three. Uh, they can hurt any team in Europe, as they proved last season. And uh, at the moment, they've got their uh, their, their heads uh, in front, but uh, it's a long way still to go. And I think Man City have just got those, as I said, those little concerns defensively now. They've lost their first-choice centre-back pairing and Vincent Company leaving the club at the end of last season. They, sh- they should have gone uh, all out for Harry Maguire from Leicester. They were both in for him, Man United and Man City. Uh, both had bids of 65 million rejected. Uh, Leicester wanted 80 million. Man United uh, met that valuation. Man City refused, and I think they might regret it. Hopefully, for Liverpool's sake, they do, Rob. Now, one thing that does concern me a little as a Liverpool supporter is uh, is some uh, sort of tension uh, between that strike force. Do you do you read much into that, or is that just uh, typical of the competitive juices that fire at that kind of level? Yeah, these things go on all the time at football clubs, you know, because they're winners. They want to win. They want to do the best they possibly can. They care about what they're doing. And I see no problem in in players every now and then exchanging a few frank views on the pitch because if it's not working, if something's not right, then they need to put it right. And the only way they're going to do that is together by communicating and demanding more of each other. And uh, you set high standards at a club like Liverpool and everybody has to meet those standards. So I've got no concerns about that at all. I think that just shows how much they really want it. How about that Chelsea uh, team? You know, they had a great result, obviously, against uh, Wolves last weekend, the bad result in the Champions League this week, and now obviously Liverpool coming to town. How do you, what do you think about Lampard? Is it, you know, a case of he's he's doing it with one arm tied behind, arm tied behind his back with the youngsters, or do you think, you know, it could have been a better appointment for Chelsea? No, I think it was the right appointment for him. He's, uh, they needed to get the fans back on side. There was, there's no secret that the last couple of managerial appointments um, they weren't enamoured with. But uh, it's super frank, isn't it? The, the man they all loved and cheered for when he was uh, running their midfield. Now he's running the whole team. But what I like about it is um, he's, he's willing, even if he didn't have the transfer embargo, he would be willing to, to give uh, some of these young players like Mason Mount and Sammy Abraham, a chance in the first team because what's the point of having an academy if you're not bringing any youngsters through? And they haven't really brought many youngsters through at Chelsea in recent years, but now they've, they've been forced into playing these youngsters and as we saw at Wolves, more so than in the week, against uh, Wolves what an exciting little group of players they have got, but obviously in the Champions League, you've got to have experience as well, you've got to have knowledge you've got to have now. I think some of the senior players have got to step up to the plate more so than the youngsters some of these senior players that have been at that club for a number of years and uh, and do have that experience, they've got to lead the way. And uh, there's a few that, are, for me, are, are not performing. Uh, and uh, there'll be a lot of pressure on people examining the youngsters and whether it's right to keep throwing them in. Um, but I think, for me, some of the senior players have got to really start raising their game. Uh, Rob, just for our listeners right around Australia, Timu Puki, he has six goals. He's only one goal behind the two leaders in the Golden Boot. That's... Uh, Tammy Abraham of Chelsea with seven goals and Sergio Aguera, Manchester City, seven goals. And Timu Puki's um, team this week are heading over to Burnley. So you'd give him some chance of maybe continuing that run. Burnley away. Now, that is never, ever easy. Never easy up at uh, Turf Moor, no. It, it, it's, 
Uh, you know, we talk about the glamour of the Premier League, uh, you know, <laughs> going to the Etihad, going to the Emirates, going to Anfield, going to Old Trafford. You go up to Turf Moor, it's completely <laughs> different. Uh, especially, I mean, like, at least they're going when it's early in the season, the sun's shining, it's a little bit warm. When you're going up there in the middle of January, it's freezing cold, it's on a hill, and the, and the fans are very hostile up there, and the, the style of play isn't exactly, uh, you know, aesthetic. Um, it could be a real challenge. It's another challenge. It's a bit like when Stoke were in the uh, Premier League and used to go there and, uh, you know, that was a very different experience. Um, so, yeah, the Premier League, might we might all talk about the Man Cities and that, but uh, let's not forget Burnley. They have a, a role to play, a part to play as well. And having had that problem last season with Europa League and the distractions, um, they seem to be back on what they do best, they do. really, under Sean Dice. It's just reverted to type. Um, so they will be a very difficult, shrewd opponents for Norwich. And uh, uh, when I said about them having to improve their defending, well, they certainly will have to at Turf Moor. Rob, we uh, we could talk to you all night, mate. It's um, it's always great having a yarn to you. Uh, we uh, we've been grateful for your support over the years of uh, of our show, and uh, we hope to keep talking to you for for many more to come. And one day. When you come to Australia, perhaps for the next Ashes, um, because we know you're a bit of a cricket man <laughs> as well, we might host you um, and, uh, and look after you, mate. Well, that's on my bucket list, I think. One day to watch an Ashes test uh, down under. Well, uh, go into the Vipers' nest and see what it's really like down there. <laughs> we'd, love to, we'd love to welcome you to the MCG when Nathan Lyon just rips <laughs> through your, your top order uh, on the fourth day of, a, of the Boxing Day test. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, I've never seen a, an Ashes series decided by one man quite yeah. so much. People in England always talk about the both matches of 81. These were the Steve Smith Ashes. He was phenomenal. He was, was the he? difference yeah. between the two teams. So, uh, yeah, um, they'll have to find a way of getting him out in a couple of years' time well, if they can get those Ashes cre- Credit to where it's due, though, but the, the, the Ben Stokes did play a pretty impressive cameo during the course of uh, of that uh, Test series. And there of is course, a bit of rumour uh, going around that so. Matty Ryan was asking at half-time of uh, Brighton's game last weekend what was the score in the cricket. So uh, there's a lot of interest. I, would, I believe that. I would believe that. <laughs> Good on you, Rob. We'll talk to you again real soon, mate. Thank you very much. The Athletics, Rob Tanner. We'll stick around because we're going to take a different tack. Um, we um, we loved the Women's World Cup, but we didn't love the end result for the Matildas. Uh, but the uh, the the, the uh, uh, what do you call it? The um, Junior Matildas. You know, the, the, I'm trying to look for the uh, the term to describe. Um, the emergence of the next uh, group next of generation. players. Then that's the next generation of players moves on. The junior Matildas, as they prepare for the 2019 AFC Under-16 Championships, we're going to talk to their gaffer, Ray Dower, after the break, aren't we, Edge? Yeah, two games in. It'll be interesting to see what she's got to say. Yeah. On Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is, of course, Box to Box. This is the 200th episode of Box to Box, and one of our favourite topics on this show for all of the 200 episodes has been the women's game. And the future of the women's game is, of course, the junior Matildas, and the coach of that very team is Ray Dower from Thailand. Welcome back to the show, Ray. Yeah, g'day, guys. How's things? And uh, happy milestone show, 200. Wow. 
That's uh, time flies when you're having fun, huh? It, it sure certainly does, does Ray. Well, well, congratulations to you. Last time we spoke, we were um, we were sort of doing it bouncing off satellites when you were in uh, Honiara, but uh, you've made your you've made your way to Chonburi in Thailand, and it's been great viewing for track watchers. Track watchers who know a bit about the group of players you've got, it, it's a good group of players. And um, well, last time we spoke to you, we talked about that all important first game against Japan, and. Um, uh, and it was a great result. It was a nil-all draw, and some people might say, oh, well, it's only a draw, but um, Japan's youth development in women's football is the benchmark. So it was a great result. You must have taken enormous confidence out of that result, Ray. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think, you know, for the players themselves, you know, the, the amount of belief that they took out of that result, I think, is, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to, to measure, to be, to be honest. Uh, you know, they've seen, obviously... A, all the results uh, of teams gone by, you know, that have gone before them. And to put it into context, that's the first point that Japan have dropped uh, at this tournament since 2007. So, um, you know, it was a really uh, historic sort of moment for the competition structure as well. And, um, you know, for, as I said, for us, it just laid a really great platform and, and gave the girls a lot of confidence and belief that, you know, that they that they well and truly deserve to be here and, uh, and are pushing for you know, going into that final uh, come next week, which will signal a, a trip to the, you know, the FIFA under 17 Women's World Cup. And so, yeah, I was about to, to say, so um, you need to finish as one of the top two best finishers in your group and then win the subsequent semi final to, to secure that place. So, obviously, taking nothing for granted, but you're on track. Yeah, look, you know, that was obviously a, a, a huge hurdle in terms of wanting to make sure that, you know, that we got uh, some sort of result out of the game. So, as I said, a, a point, you know, we we were really good for the match as well as possibly, you know, we rode our luck probably on a couple of occasions, but we, you know, we we could have almost won it as well. We had some really great chances and, um, you know, some really good goalkeeping from those teams. You know, and the team for us was, was, you know, was really great and, and so was the Japanese goalkeeping. You know, they saved one off the line as well, so, um, you, you know, it is. It's, it's one of those things you've got to finish in the top two and then you've got to a crossover semi-final uh, yeah. with the other, the other group. Yeah, just for um, uh, obviously the benefit of listeners right around Australia, normally in this uh, age group, uh, in this, this qualification process, the top three teams uh, from uh, this Asian Championship would go through to the World Cup. But because India is hosting, um, one of the Asian spots are already taken, which means that Australia has to finish uh, in the final. Now, um, it was a great uh, win uh, on Wednesday night in Chonburi against the host nation Thailand, 6-1 in uh and it was raining cats and dogs too, wasn't it, right? Yeah, it was torrential at times. It was uh, really torrential. And that field uh, in particular plays very differently to the other field over at the Wallapagoo Stadium. So, uh, yeah, the, the ground was very heavy, very waterlogged. And uh, you know, I certainly put a little bit of extra fatigue into the players' legs um, after last night's match. But, yeah, really great victory there. The girls play extremely well. Um, some very, you know, good, well, well-worked team goals. And... Uh, and as you say, it's, it's another really great platform for us on the back of the, the point against Japan. And we've uh, got a couple of days rest now to be able to recover and get the bodies forward and, and go again on Saturday against Bangladesh. Now, Ray, our previous best performance was back in 2009. And the, the names in that team, how about this? Steph Catley, Caitlin Ford, Alana Kennedy and Sam Kerr top the group and that group featured Japan, China and Taiwan. So have we got a lot to look forward to with the talent coming out of your squad? 
yeah, we do. I, you know, I firmly believe there's a, you know, you know, a plethora of players in this group that can go on and represent Australia at the highest level. And you know, with Australia wanting to uh, to host, the, you know, the 2023 version of the World Cup, you know, I've got no doubt that there's some of these players here will, you know, will be in that squad, in or, in or about that squad, and and. Uh, you know, I think it's a really exciting time to head and, and there's, a, there's some really, really great young players and they've got, you know, they've got all the attributes. They're physically, you know, physically they're good athletes. They, you know, they understand the game. They, they're, they're developing their game awareness and, and, and their skills. And, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited, certainly, for the, for the future of the women's game in Australia. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Junior Matilda's coach, Ray Dower, at the Under-16s AFC Championships. Well, it's time to just mention a couple of players. A couple of players that have stood out to me. Uh, they've played every um, minute of your first two games. Uh, one is um, defensive mil- midfielder Paige Zoas. I think her father uh, might have been involved at Collingwood Football Club in the AFL back in the day. But um, Paige has been doing a wonderful job. Um, um, when did you decide to play her as uh, in that defensive midfield role? Because in her club career, it's not necessarily where she plays. But um, she's been doing well, hasn't she? Yeah, look, she, you know, Paige is a, you know, is a very versatile player, as, as are a number of our girls. That's probably one of the really great aspects of this particular sport is that we have a number of players who are adaptable and flexible and, you know, can play in a number of different positions. And, you know, each and every time that we select a team, we think it's the best, you know, fit for our team for that particular match against that particular opponent. And, and you know, the girls are... You know, all, all understand that, and they know that they're doing the job for the team. And, and um, you know, with a with a couple of other little niggling injuries, we had Paige knew that this was going to probably be where she would play at this particular tournament. And um, you know, she hasn't uh, she hasn't let us down so far. She was really great again last night, and on the back of a really a really uh, great performance against Japan too, with a lot of a lot of running involved. Um, you know, she was really good against them as, as well. Well, I know your your forwards have been scoring goals, but there's been another player that um, I think her father uh, might have been an international cyclist. I was reading online, uh, but Charlie Rule, she's played every moment, I think, in uh, both games as well, uh, and, and performing well for you as well. Yeah, we yeah, Charlie played a yeah a fair bit last night there as well. She she's uh, also uh, um, you know a funny sort of character. She can play anywhere as well. out on the wing. We we uh, she did a great job alongside Paige uh, in that first round against Japan uh, as a defensive midfielder, which is probably more uh, used to sort of playing in that number ten role, uh, you know, a bit further up the field. But once again, you know, she knew she had to do a team. She knew what her job was. She knew what the role, you know, was that she had to do. And she she did a really great job uh, the other night again against Japan. And, and last night was really instrumental in in starting up uh, as nine for us. We thought we could get a little bit out of her in terms of her. Uh, her mobility and um, you know just her creativity in and around the box and and uh, she did a really great job for us again last night. Well, you've you got uh, three goal scorers last night, scoring a double, and your Beaumont came on uh, in the second half and did a fabulous job for you with a, a very different sort of player to Janeski. But um, tell us, you've probably did what I did, um, Ray. I know you've probably done it more than me. Is you're looking across at who we might eventually end up, I know we've got to get across Bangladesh on Saturday, but uh, North Korea looked like they're taking all before them. They had a huge win over Vietnam in the opening game. Um, they look a very physical team too. They looked uh, they looked quite quite strong uh, on the highlights that I saw. Have you had a look at them? 
Yeah, look, we uh, we certainly know what we're going to be up against when we when we look towards North Korea. They um, are absolute physical powerhouses at at certainly at this age group level and also the under twenties level. And it it really is. I think that last the last school just uh, just just before I came on air, I think they were winning against China in their all important clash in the other group. I uh, think three nil with um. Uh, just after half time, so uh, you know it looks like that they might uh, get the edge in that other group and top the group there. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you certainly know what you can expect. They they uh, are in, are incredibly fit and incredibly strong and very direct, and and they play a, a you know a very different kind of football than I think a lot of our young players and manager players can. Hey Ray, um, good luck with the rest of the tournament. Um, it's just wonderful to see these um, young women emerge uh, in the, um, the sh- well, not the shadows. It's probably not the right word, but um, in the um, you know the tradition of the great Matildas teams as the the, the rise and rise of football, women's football in this country continues. Um, you're at the very cutting edge of it, and uh, and it's just wonderful to see. Thanks very much, guys, for all your support as always. And yeah, we're, we're uh, as I said, look, really looking forward to the game against Bangladesh. And uh, we know we've got to do a really good job done. Goals, there goals, goals, Ray! Goals, goals, goals! <laughs> definitely, definitely, that will be the order of the day. It was uh, the last night was great, but I think we probably missed an opportunity last night to put a few more away as well. So that'll certainly be the order of the day for the game and secure those three points, and then uh, move See what on to, uh, yeah. to the semi-final. Good luck, Ray. All the best. Thank you very much, and all the best for your time to show. Thank Thanks you very much, Ray. Excellent, yeah. the young Matildas. All right, stick around. We're going to flip back to the domestic game. Willem is going to join us, and we're going to talk A-League. Uh, we're going to continue the club countdown and reflect on this week's FFA Cup matches. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Box to Box on NTS News Talks, but we're going to continue our A-League countdown. And, uh, and have a bit of a look back at the FFA Cup. But before we do, I just want in this 200th episode to shout out to the people who um, supported this program from the very get-go and um, the very uh, first person to exactly put um, his name to the show was uh, Mario Tasconi, who's the Chief Operating Officer and one of the directors of Chemist Warehouse. Without Mario and his vision back in the early days to back... Uh, an aspiring program to a niche audience, uh, we never would have got off the ground. So to the great Mario, mate, you've been a huge supporter uh, of, uh, of this program from day one. And as a friend personally, um, we are very, very grateful. Rutene Farakawa, who has continued on that great legacy uh, to make sure that uh, we've continued on. The great people at Chemist Warehouse, um, shop locally, shop at your Chemist Warehouse, support these people who, you know, so many great stories behind Chemist Warehouse. I know people who listen to the show regularly know of my interest in cerebral palsy through my young son Alexander who has uh, the condition and um, and Chemist Warehouse always the first to put their hand up. But whether it's uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy through Save Our Sons, whether it's women's mental health through um, Lip Timber, or whether it's uh, Gus Wallen's Gotcha for Life for men's mental health, they are a real community organisation. So big shout out to Chemist Warehouse, our, our great mates, to uh, uh, continue to... Uh, this uh, partnership many, many years into the future, Edge. Absolutely fantastic. No, um, we've enjoyed their involvement and uh, I love getting down to Chemist Warehouse and uh, filling, up the, filling up the basket when I need to. Exactly. Now, Willem, 
Um, what are you going to start us off with, FFA Cup or A-League? Uh, we'll start off with the A-League Countdown. So we'll start with Wellington. Mm-hmm. This was a side that really had the heart ripped out of it with Mark Rudan leaving, as well as mm. Durante Williams, Krishna, Sapreet Singh. And it's left Ufuk Tale to pick up the pieces. But fortunately, he'll be able to focus primarily on the pitch and not off it with their future mm. looking sort of rosy. Their most important player is Stephen Taylor. And guaranteed. At least, yeah, guaranteed. Well, yeah. Their most important player is Stephen Taylor. He was excellent in his first year and he's now been made skipper mm-hmm. in Durante's absence and they really can't afford for him to miss too much football. Uh, besides from that, the squad, well, they've got Louis Fenton, Rufa and Kakashi are also sort of senior players, but apart from that, it looks quite threadbare, really. They have 14 new players, Willem. Yeah, so 14. New, new signings. We've got David Ball, who's the number nine from England. He scored 41 goals in 179 matches for Fleetwood Town. They've brought, also brought in Ulysses Davilia from Mexico and Matty Steinman from Germany. From Hamburger. From Hamburg, yeah. He's spent a lot of time in those German youth setups and has played also a lot of uh, German reserve stuff, but hasn't played a lot of senior stuff. And so, Stefan Moranovic from Bristol City. Yeah, I think he's the national team goalkeeper yeah. for New Zealand. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot depends on those those guys that Edge, brought in. Do you in. Um, uh, hold any sort of sway with the argument that that now that they have certainty in the competition and, and don't have that sort of, sort of sort of Damocles hanging over their neck um, and that they're a team that's wanted in the, in the, in the competition, that, um, that, you know, there just might be a, a different um, vibe around the place? Uh, no, I don't. I just think that the the club hasn't been able to retain any of its talent that it's it's developed, and it's been a obviously because they are a team that uh, is less financial than the rest of the A League in terms of the resources that go into the club. Um, they play young players, young players do well, and they get uh, pinched from them. So um, I, they would need to change. In my view, they would need to change uh, their investment strategy around the club and start retaining some players to get some sustained success. Yeah, I'm stoked that their future's guaranteed, but just looking at that list, I can't really see them finishing inside the finals, unfortunately. Yeah, they're always going to be difficult uh, because they've got a good home ground advantage, but um, I I can't see them doing anything, really. Well, going from the sublime to the ridiculous, a a team that that doesn't have a lot of money to a team that's got all the money in the world. Well, everyone says that, but they do have a a strict budget that they've got to stick with all of the time, Melbourne City, and um, Brad Rouse, the CEO keeps telling me that he says, "Oh, you guys keep something, and we've got all the money that we actually we've got a we've got a break even, and we've got a business case, and all that sort of stuff." So, well, so they don't like when people result, say a business that. with a business case and a budget. Well, they don't necessarily have... like when people say that, but when you look at the uh, the ins, they've they've done well, haven't they? Yeah, so their biggest in is Eric Mombart, a hugely experienced manager in France, and they've looked really good in the FFA Cup so far, disposed of the Wanderers a couple of nights ago, who were actually my tip, and every time they got the ball, they actually put it forward, which is a fresh, exciting look for Melbourne City. Yeah, they were going forward with purpose, weren't they, compared mm. to Warren Joyce's, uh, let's just be a little bit conservative while we play, but I enjoyed his interview with Andy Harper after the game. Yeah, he he looked at Andy Harper, who gave him one of those questions where he put in a few of those superlatives that he can, yeah. and he just... Shook his head. He said, I don't understand what you've said. <laughs> so it's a huge year for them, especially with Western United coming in. They need to sort of, it seems always the case, they need to really prove their relevance. Uh, par for mine is fifth and up. Any lower than that's a bit of a failure. Key players, friends of Box to Box, Scott Jamison's a skipper, and Jamie McLaren is the best for mine. If he stays fit, you know you're going to get a minimum of 15 goals. Yeah, if, he's, if he gets the... He's, he's been there, done that. We know what he can do. He loves the A-League. He plays that uh, number nine so well. Uh, if he gets service, like he did <laughs> last, yep. uh, like he did this week against uh, Western Sydney Wanderers in the FFA Cup match, um, he, he's going to score a lot of goals. Yeah, yeah. so that service... Uh, the, the player that l- looks like he's a, a really good player is Craig, Craig Noon. Craig Noon, yeah. He's going to be yeah. the one to give McLaren that service. He's yep. got four goals so far in the FFA Cup. And a good story is, even though he has... Um, 
he's, he's returned to the club after being a and understudy at Tottenham Hotspur for sort of five or six years. He's, he's the youngster Tom Glover, um, who will play uh, as the glove man in the Ollie Ruse setup. Um, he's got to dislodge um, the, the the keeper, Steph Catley's boyfriend, Dean Buzanis, who is prone Buzanis. to the odd error. So I think he the door is. might open for Tom yeah, Glover. Yeah, so at I want some to stage. see Tom Glover because you really need a goalkeeper in the A League whose surname is Glover. <laughs> yeah, works well, doesn't it? I mean, it's just we have to have that. Their other imports have brought Uruguayans Javier Cabrera and Adrian Luna. Both are 27, and Richard Winterpickler from Austria, who's 28. So those ages excite me. Mm. They're not the sort what of. What about the players they've lost? Uh, Richie Delat, he was. Uh, he was crucial. He was crucial to them. He's a big out. Riley McGree's a big out. Um, um, and the others, uh, Schenkeveld. They were very. They were really hoping to keep Schenkeveld, weren't they? They were. They put a he lot. He was of, a real rock yeah. for them, wasn't he? Yeah, he Luke was. Yeah. Pratton's also gone out. Uh, Josh Belante's come back the other way though from Sydney. Mm. So yeah, as I said before, those ages of players really impressed me. They're not the older imports. They're guys that if they do well, could stick around for a few years. And I suppose uh, that's a benefit of that global scouting network they've got. Well, I'm, I'm most interested to see now. We referred to it earlier with Western United um, coming into the comp, uh, um, and you know a couple of Melbourne derbies. Um, uh, so that's um, you know six games at least or more with um, with uh, uh, some being played more than others. Um, can Melbourne City actually draw a regular crowd of uh, five figures plus? You know, that's, no, that's, I don't think uh, they can because that's uh, they haven't been trying. So mm. um, and I say that. With well, it'd be pretty embarrassing respect. to them if um, if Western United can start. Well, strategically, yeah, you know, they've been right. saying behind the scenes that they were um, opposed to the structure when FFA um, controlled the league in terms of all the commercial rights and that while that was happening they wouldn't invest mm-hmm. uh, we now hear that the clubs are opening up the, the the coffers and they're spending money on all sorts of different marketing and activities and we have to say that I think Paul Letterer at um, Western City Rondras they look like they've spent a fair bit of money in the transfer market, um, they, they are setting themselves up for a big year, um, let's just see what Manchester City do because um, or Melbourne City, uh, a la Manchester City Group, mm-hmm. um, Let's just see what they do. We, we need to see them land a couple of big players. Well, they, they were one of the biggest voices in demanding change, and uh, now yeah, it's happened. It's, up, it's time yeah, to put their money where their mouth it's is. It's right. Money talks, bullshit walks. Yep. We'll quickly go through the FFA Cup results. Adelaide won Jets nil. Al Hassan Torre scoring his fourth goal of the campaign. He looks really exciting. A controversial send-off for the goalkeeper, in my view. I think it was a red. You think it was a red? I think it was. And then uh, his replacement, Glenn Moss, made an absolute howler for the goal. He did, yeah. Hume City nil, Central Coast one. This I watched this one. I thought it was really good. That was good. Uh, unfortunate for Hume, though, wasn't it? That um, that late late goal. Yeah, and I'm not sure the goal scorer Majok deserved to be on the pitch after some the of the yellow card was at 30 seconds prior. And I'm not mm. sure he uh, even scored the goal just quietly. It was a bit contentious in that scramble. Yeah, and um, obviously the Hume City fans realised the showers weren't working in the Central Coast Mariners rooms and decided to give the players a share on the way off the ground. Yeah, that wasn't classy. <laughs> they were really good throughout the match, mm. chanting, waving the flags, and then after it they sort of ruined it for themselves. Yeah. But you, I think they were pretty wound up by a couple of things that happened in the last five minutes. <laughs> that doesn't justify that behaviour. No, it doesn't. It does. But they just obviously thought the uh, Central Coast boys needed a shout. Yeah, exactly. Melbourne City 3, Wanderers nil. Goals to Noon, McLaren and Noon. We've just spoken about them. Brisbane Strikers 3. So were you surprised about that result? I actually I was. Thought I tipped Western the Wanderers. Sydney, yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, so I was very surprised. It looks like uh, they were um, defensively, Western Sydney Wanderers were all at sea with that three at the back, which is a new... So I was the only one that tipped Melbourne City last week then, was I? Uh, I don't think we did tips last week. <laughs> and then Brisbane Strikers 3, Mullins and 2. This was an up and down sort of affair. Fraser Hills and Ryan Palmer were the goal scorers for the Strikers, and they now go through. And they will host Melbourne City at Perry Park. Your yep. man Owen. Your man Owen got the job done. 
and he was good on Fox Sports with Adam Peacock as well. He was good. He just basically gave the boys the night to get on the gas. And then the other <laughs> semi-final will be Central Coast hosting Adelaide United the night after. Yes, Central Coast uh, marketing that as a blockbuster. How good Central Coast kit? Can they wear that all season? That is uh, their third kit, as I understand, yeah. But uh, they're actually launching this. I think this week they're launching their home A-League kit, and I've had a sneak preview, and I think it's very, very good. Okay, mm. awesome. A little shout-out to a friend of, of this program, uh, the son of a friend of this program, Sal Vicardo, who is uh, on the bench with the Moreland Zebras as well, uh, from the uh, the Great Vicardo family, John, Steve, Michael, and uh, their dad, Ray, who run Hoyt's Food and Hamper World. So, so it was his fault they lost? No, no. Well, he didn't play, so, yeah, maybe it was. If he was out there, he would have uh, <laughs> hit right. the school the winner. All right, we'll stick around for the next hour of this 200th episode. They actually did well. They were probably the better team. Yeah, yeah they, were, uh, they were good value. Um, because we have got a stack more to come. Uh, we obviously have Socceroos and Matilda Centre to open the hour. ESPN Asia, Scotty McIntyre. We love talking to Scotty. He's always a fantastic value. We're going to talk Europe more with Derek and uh, and get into the Champions League results a little bit uh, deeper than uh, we have done uh, with uh, with our good mate Rob Tanner. And then we're going to wrap it up with the poacher turn gamekeeper as uh, Derek turns his laser focus on to Edge and I to reflect on what's been uh, uh, four years. <laughs> With uh, Box to Box. All right, we'll stick around. Big next hour coming up. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to hour two of this 200th episode of Box to Box. On NTS News Talk Sport, it's been a big first hour already with Rob Tower, Ray Dow. We've uh, continued our uh, preview. What about Dino opening the show? I know. Well, doesn't he love to interrupt? I mean, I feel like I'm at home when I'm in this studio because he, he interrupts so often, doesn't he? Just as I was about to say. And I'm just Adino, adding value, Rob. I'm not interrupting. I'm adding value. <laughs> off the top of the show. <laughs> but, uh, Willem, we didn't do any news off the top, but um, you are going to climb into uh, all the latest, of course, with Matilda's and Socceroo Central. Yes, Rob, Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Support the Socceroos in their World Cup qualifier in Taiwan this October. After that, follow the Young Matildas in Thailand as they compete in the 2019 Under-19 Asian Cup. Both packages are available at ggatravel.com.au. Daniel Arsani has made his return after his ACL injury, playing 30 minutes off the bench for Celtic's reserve side, and by all reports, he looked quite lively. Tom Rogic returned to the senior side following his own knee injury, playing 23 minutes against Motherwell. Nikita Rukovica bagged his fifth goal in five starts for Maccabi Haifa, who went top of the table in Israel, and alongside him was Trent Sainsbury, who played the full match. And well, he's fr- playing in the right team with the right bloke um, to get noticed by the, the national team coach. That's the idea, yeah. It gives Arnie a little bit less to watch. Hopefully you can just, yeah. Mm. And fringe soccerer Aidan Rustic uh, found the net in Holland as well, scoring for Groningen in their 2-1 loss to Venlo. And for the Matildas, all three Aussies were in action for Washington Spirit. Chloe Legazzo scored in their 2 all draw with Rain. Amy Harrison came off the bench while Steph Catley played the full 90, so they are sitting sixth, five points out of playoff positions. Sam Kerr netted again for Chicago. That was her 16th of the season, and her uh, lead in the Golden Boot is out to five goals ahead of second. And Jacinta Gallabardarici continued her good form with West Ham. She made her starting debut in their 1-0 win over Birmingham. Interesting stuff uh, there. What about the Joeys? Can I mention the Joeys with them? Of course. Okay, so the Joeys, which is the under-15 team, uh, this is the youngest of the two um, junior soccer roos programs. Uh, They're in in actually Taipei uh, in their group qualification for the Asian uh, under-17 Asian 
champion uh, championship, which will be held next year in January. No, nope. no, it's in September and October uh-huh. next year, and I'm just racking the back. It's in China. That's right. It's in China. Um, anyway, uh, they've had uh, a couple of games. They've got their third and fourth games over the next three days. But we just go through through their results. They uh, managed to secure a three nil win over Macau, um, and their first game that was their second game. The first game was a two one win over Mongolia. So they're sitting second on the table. They need to finish on top of their table to go through automatically to the Asian Championship, or if they finish second, they could be a lucky uh, selection based on their goal difference and points. What's interesting is that they've uh, beaten Mongolia and Macau, who are the two weakest teams in their group. Um, Vietnam and Timor-Leste are the two uh, teams that have got points as well as Australia, um, and they're performing quite well, and that's who we play in the next two games. So a very little, uh, a very important little couple of games for uh, the young, uh, for the Joeys, uh, the junior Socceroos, the Joeys. Who would have thought Timor-Leste, unless they would have been uh, a team that's just risen up the rankings at, uh, in that age group for uh, for football in Asia? Michael, what are your thoughts? Do you think there's too many underage national teams? Because I think, could we possibly bring all of our resources together to make sort of one or two teams stronger? Or do you think it's better to have as many kids coming through these programs as possible? Well, a lot of people don't realise that FIFA have an under-20s World Cup in women and um, and men every second year. And that's because, of obviously, age groups uh, come through all the time. If they had it every four years, some certain yep. um, generations of age groups would miss opportunities. So we have to... Uh, part of the FIFA constitution, you've got to participate in those things, so um, you have to do that, and that's why Trevor Morgan's operating two teams, he's got this team away in Chinese Taipei now, in what's the first phase of the Asian Championship qualifications which is the forerunner for the World Cup qualification, and then he's got obviously his under-17s that are going to the World Cup in Brazil uh, in about three or four weeks time, so he's got two programs that he's running, and these are the under-15s Oliveira's boy Oliveira, who played with Adelaide, his boys in this this team he's actually scored his first uh, goal international goal so that's an interesting little development for the joeys it's um uh, not all chocolates and roses for them they've got a massive game against vietnam tomorrow which is friday uh, we record the show on thursday uh, and then they've got two more less so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to the really young joeys in that tournament former Socceroos coach rudy gutendorf has died age 93 Gutendorf managed Australia from 1979 to 81, winning the 1980 Oceania Cup. Australia was, amazingly, one of 19 national teams that he managed across his globe-joining career. Yeah, he was prolific. I read that. How um, is that? It, it, amazing, isn't he? 32 countries. Do you there. remember him? Well, Edge, I remember him as a kid. He uh, was always uh, just e- kid, enigmatic barely. and yeah, uh, yeah. an exotic kind of guy, yeah. um, big-speaking bloke. But um, but he um, he uh, the story, um, you know, in his obit uh, referred to uh, the fact that he'd seen Australia in the 1974 World Cup and that he wanted to come to Australia to, to coach Australia players because he liked their uh, aggressive style. Um, Roy Hayes said there's never been uh, there's, there have been few more flamboyant coaches of the Australian national team than uh, Rudy Gutendorf um, and if you look at some of the old photos he loved a, he loved a bit of fashion yep. um, and uh, a lot of the players that he coached have come out with really glowing testimonies of, uh, of uh, the mentorship they had while he was coaching. Fantastic. In, in 32 uh, countries I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, I, thought had I thought I'd worked in a few. Oh my <laughs> god that's amazing. In A-League signing news, Western Sydney have signed 36-year-old German striker Alexander Meyer. 
He earned the nickname Football God, which is Football God, across his 14-year career at Eintracht Frankfurt, where he scored 119 Bundesliga goals. So he's clearly got the pedigree. It's just whether he can do it 36 at 36 in the Australian mm. sun. Bit of a question mark. Another one who, I mean, we, we were talking up a couple of weeks ago about Newcastle's Irish Messi. Uh, did a bad injury during the week, and mm. looks like he's going to miss 12, 12 to 13 weeks. Yeah, the syndemosis, the sort of injury that's in fashion, if you like, the high ankle sprain. Yeah, so that is a... Nasty one, and uh, Ernie Merrick obviously. Um, Ernie wasn't happy with no, the refereeing. He, he said no. refereeing in 15 years of the A League has not improved. Melbourne Victory have also added their final foreigner, signing Midgen Basher on a two year deal. He's now. Say Midget. Midgen. Oh, Midgen, okay. Just checking. <laughs> He's an Albanian with 33 appearances for the national team. So it'll be a new look midfield for Victory under Marco Kurz, reading Basher, Dobrus, and Poulsen. Very, he's a very popular Albanian uh, player as well, and he played uh, only recently in the 2020 European qualifiers. So, Rob, um, for those, this is a bit of a local mm. local uh, observation because obviously he's going to be playing for Melbourne Victory, but I'm fully expecting the trains from Dandenong to be full. Dandenong Thunder, of course, yes, the Albanian, the Albanian uh, team yeah. in the uh, NPL in Eastern Victoria. Southern they will be uh, they'll be packing the carriages out to go and see him play. <laughs> well, well, there's I mean, two of Albania's best, of course, play with um, with Switzerland, um, don't they? Granit Xhaka. That's and, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jordan Shakiri, of course. Yeah. And so so there's some kind of pedigree with the Albanians. So hopefully they can bring a bit of that zing to Australia. Yeah. Scottish football is mourning the loss of former Rangers captain Fernando Rickson, who has passed away aged just 43. He'd been battling motor neuron disease since 2013, and his charity has raised over £1 million towards research to date. He made 12 appearances for Holland and was a fan favourite at Rangers, where he played from 2000 to 2006. Yeah, that's a horrible story. Yeah. I saw that during the week, um, you know, with uh, obviously Neil Danaher and uh, um, in rugby league Scott Gale, a player that um, I grew up watching for Balmain and Canberra, um, Dying from that insidious disease. I mean, it's there, but the grace of God—that sort of thing, isn't it? That a, you know, a person um, in the peak of their, you know, physical prowess uh, has got no, uh, no armory against um, something like that. Yeah. So, Derek, you, you've got um, uh, something on that one. Yeah, look, I, I, it's a tragedy, and what it's actually done is brought the city of Glasgow together. Mm. You know, it's the fierce, one of the fiercest rivalries in football. But I noticed that Celtic even posted a tribute to Fernando Rickson and. Um, and, and a lot of their fans were getting behind it as well. So it just goes to show that, you know, we're all here because we love this game, but there are things that are just more important than the game. Yeah, Absolutely. That uh, disease touches everyone. Um, um, Matilda of recent times, so she hasn't been to Matilda for a couple of years, but Caitlin Cooper, who plays for Sydney mm. FC in the in the WLE, her father died uh, just uh, only, I think, a year ago yeah. uh, from MND. And I just noticed on uh, social media she was having another fundraising with her mates. They do a... Mm. Uh, um, they do a, a day in the gym, uh, a continuous rowing in the gym for 24 hours to raise money for M&D. So, yeah, it, it is, um, yeah, it's it's one of those ones that really does hit home because it's a it's a terrible way to go. Yep. Mm. Well done, Willem. Uh, look, uh, not a nice way, but uh, you know, a thought-provoking way, perhaps, to end uh, in the news. All right, gentlemen, uh, we are going to get stuck into. A great story that is emerging in the world of football, and that is Ange Postacoglu with his side, Yokohama F. Marinos, sitting currently third, as you pointed out during the week, on the ladder. The only man to talk about that story is, of course... 
Scott McIntyre. ESPN Asia's Scott McIntyre. How many questions will we get him? Scotty, mate, he's fairly When you go, when you let him, he's like a little, uh, you wind him up and away he goes. He just playing. goes, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. But it's always good. He it doesn't is, miss. It's awesome. And he's always got something good to say and yeah. he's always got uh, a, uh, you know. A, it's always a, dinner time when we talk to him in Japan as well. So he's yeah. probably out in the streets having some ramen. <laughs> he probably will be. All right, that's Scotty McIntyre after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, they're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box, the 200th episode of Box to Box, and we promised we'd line up some good stories and some of our favourite guests. And our next guest is definitely one of those, Scott McIntyre from ESPN Asia. Welcome back to the show on this uh, auspicious episode, Scott. Hello, uh, folks. How are you doing? We're really, really well, mate. And um, when Edge and I were uh, were pondering on uh, who to line up for uh, for our two hundredth, uh, we uh, we definitely wanted to have a yarn to you, mate, because uh, you know you've uh, you've been on a few times over the years, and uh, and whenever we need to find out what's going on in uh, particularly Japan in the last year or so with uh, Ange Postacoglu, mate, um, you're giving us plenty. So. Good to have you back on, mate. So, so this is the. Uh, has anyone made this um, this point yet that this is the uh, box centenary? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you see, that's why we got you on, Scott, because you are guaranteed <laughs> to give us a zinger. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and you did. You've delivered, mate. Um, hey, Scott. Yokohama F Marinos. Now, looking at the uh, the J League table from uh, this year compared to last. Um, they finished the season 12th last year, and um, and just looking ahead, um, so they've uh, th- they're currently sitting third on the ladder on a winning streak of three games. Um, they've got Kashima Antlers who are coming second this weekend, so they can they can equal them on points, and it's all set up if uh, they can keep the winning streak going for the final game of the season um, with nine games remaining to play the top of the ladder FC Tokyo. Now, am I prognosticating too much to think that Ange Postacoglu could actually win the title here? Uh, yeah, I'll pull you up on a few of the numbers. There's actually eight matches to go, and they're playing Kashima in the Cup uh, uh, next week. The, the, um, very unusually, the league has um, gone into hiatus this weekend uh, due to the Rugby World Cup uh, being course. hosted here, which is um, rookie era. Which is, uh, as I as I keep saying, is a, a rich man's pastime, and uh, and the rich man's pastime is uh, also stealing the J League of several of their grounds. Uh, uh, FC Tokyo can't play it there. A home stadium, Yokohama, can't play at their stadium. Neither can they actually train in Yokohama. We'll get into that in a minute. And uh, and, and a few other clubs, uh, Oito, who are who are kicking around and chasing the ACL spots, they can't play at their home stadium either. So so all these clubs are, are not only yet being forced into a nomadic existence, but the league is bending over backwards <laughs> and allowing um yeah the rugby to um to completely yeah dominate the headlines this weekend, which is a little bit unusual. So so um yeah um, uh, played in the the ACL quarterfinals uh, last night. Uh, which is why their cup game is on uh, next week. So that's the, the round of 16 in the cup. So uh, if uh, yeah, I mean if Yokohama win four games there, they're, they're guaranteed of a spot in the ACL next year, which would be great. But the league is um, is where it's at. And, and actually, the last game of the season is uh, they host FC Tokyo, who are, who are the current league leaders. So yeah, I, I, I've been speaking to a, you know a, a few of the staff um, around the club for a while, and I keep saying to them, I think this is going to be the title decider, the last um, the last day, which would be amazing for the club. Amazing for Ange, and of course, it's important to um, remember that uh, Peter Klamovsky is the um, the head coach there, and, and Arthur Pappas, another you know, both Melbourne guys, um, is uh, is also on the coaching staff as well. Uh, you know, as an Australian uh, kind of um, you know conditioning physical trainer as well. So there's a real heavy contingent of Australian staff at the club, and those guys are 
are, in my opinion, um, amongst the best uh, in their craft anywhere in the world. And, uh, you know, I, I, I remember speaking to the staff after they played Manchester City uh, here in a friendly at the summer, and they basically told me that uh, Pep Guardiola came up to Ange and the staff after the game, and he said, uh, you guys play how I want to play. Wow. So, uh, you know, you, you don't get much uh, higher praise uh, than that. And, uh, you know, like I said, when I, whenever I speak to you guys, what Ange is doing is I think is revolutionising the way that football is played in Japan. You know, consistently uh, positive uh, attacking football and one of the few teams that play to win uh, rather than uh, not to lose. So it would be a great, um, yeah, a great thing. And, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it uh, with Brisbane. We've seen it with Melbourne where it's often a struggle in the first year for Ange and then when it really starts clicking um, in Season 2 and, and, and onwards, the team is unstoppable and they've been playing... Are really scintillating a football with a squad that's not um, uh, probably reflective of where they are on the table. You know, maybe uh, it's, it's a mid-table squad in terms of quality, but yeah, just the, the relentless positivity, um, commitment to attack-minded football, that's no uh, surprise for anyone in Australia, you know, who's well and truly aware of the way that, that Ange likes his teams to play. But it's been a real um, breath of fresh air here uh, in Japan. I think it's encouraging other Japanese coaches to want to also be more open uh, and expressive um, and I think it's also coming um, with a backdrop of the club not necessarily giving uh, the full kind of support uh, uh, as they could do to Ange. Like I said uh, before with this uh, rugby business, they're, they're actually being forced to train uh, at a place called Atami. It's about a 90 minute uh, journey each way. Sure. <laughs> so this is an hour and a half round trip they're doing to and from just to get to training. Uh, it's at one of the Nissan uh, kind of corporate facilities that they, you know, they built a little uh, kind of pitch you know, on, the, on the side of one of these factories for them to train. And, and so, you know, you Amazing. can just imagine the risk of injury when you've got the, the uh, players uh, cooped up in this. As long as it's, uh, as long the, as it's not a world. car park, Scott, that's the most important thing. This is box-to-box, by the way. And we're talking yeah. to ESPN Asia's Scott McIntyre. Edge has got a couple of uh, points he wants to make to you as well after that brilliant analysis, of which I was half right in my opening question, Edge. Scott, um, you summarised it beautifully. What I want to know is uh, what's been the fans... Um, journey with Ange uh, and their relationship with Ange. Um, did they understand uh, what he was going to do when he first started? And um, as they just continually play out of the back, we know Ange teams do that. We've seen it with the Socceroos. We've seen it with the Brisbane and Melbourne. They just continually play at the back. And it can sometimes get on the nerves of fans. How have the local fans accepted what uh, Ange's philosophy and, and how they've gone about uh, creating that attacking style of play? I think at first people uh, knew the reputation, but they didn't know just how um, yeah how didactic it was going to be, and, and particularly in the first season. I mean, um, yeah, I, I think in the in the first six months that he was here, the the keeper has now moved on to um, uh, to Vissel Corbett, the, the club where uh, David Veer and, and Lucas Podolski and Andreas Iniesta is. Uh, I mean, he was a uh, he was a walking nightmare. This guy he got um, chipped from halfway, you know, probably four <laughs> times in the in the opening six months. So it was a real um, yeah welcome to the philosophy kind of. Um, uh, moment, but but they could see that it did come with a real ideology, um, uh, an unwavering belief to um, uh, to the system and the way that he's always done things. There have been tweaks um, to that. There's been a few tactical adjustments in terms of um, uh, you know shape between and and within games, but the underpinning uh, philosophical uh, elements of of that real commitment to wanting to dominate uh, opponents and force uh, the opposition to react to what you're doing. Uh, rather than the other way around, is um, I, I, I think it's becoming a very rare situation in global football. I mean, we've, we've seen it at major international tournaments where there's an emphasis on on, on counter-attacking and sitting and waiting and um, and just looking to exploit teams. But I'm uh, you know I'm 
firmly in the camp of what they're doing in that the idea of the game is not to um, yeah not to cower and, uh, and and look to exploit weaknesses it's to impose yourself and, and dominate yourself on clashes and and there's been such a strong commitment uh, to Ange and, and, I, and I keep making the point you know that that Pete Klamovsky and, and Arthur Pappas are in my opinion um, you know should be uh, I don't want to say should be considered <laughs> I mean, you know if an open um, A League job was there I mean their candidates, you know, one through one through ten in terms of the, the you know, the, the coaches that should be there, and and you know, and, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if um, if certainly, uh, you know, Peter was um, you know, perhaps uh, had to strike out on his own and get you know, a, 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 a very good job here or somewhere else in Asia as well, because you know he's um, he's doing a lot of the training sessions and uh, he's also a superb tactical mind. I've sat with both of those assistant coaches, you know, and and seen the work that they put into. Uh, analyzing uh, the opponent, the work that they put into set piece uh, preparation, uh, how to um, uh, you know uh, counter transitional moments. Um, uh, they're, they're, these guys as well are at the absolute um, peak of their craft. I, I don't think um, that Ange is probably going to stick around at Yokohama if, if I was going to have a bet on it. Um, this this could be his last year, so it, it could be a big moment um, to go out with a bang. Uh, it wouldn't surprise him. Though. Certainly, it's my understanding that there's. Um, a big club in the in the English Championship that's very keen on getting him over there. Those discussions have been happening for quite a while, and there's certainly two um, very big clubs uh, here in Japan that, that are also very keen uh, to get him on board as well. So this could be the, the you know the last eight matches that that he has at, at Yokohama. He could win the double, he could win the cup, he could win the league, he could get them into Asia one way uh, or the other. And you know his legacy is then. Uh, establish he can move on and I think uh, importantly you know maybe some of the, the coaches that uh, people in Australia don't really know and so much and, and, and I keep saying it again Peter Klamovsky is, um, is just such a superb uh, tactical mind you know these guys are then also uh, going to get the chance you know to what, what the Americans say the, uh, the coaching tree you know the, uh, the, the apples that fall off the coaching tree I think you know we'll have a couple of um, superb coaches that have learnt from Ange and, and go on uh, soon to forge their own reputation and that's such a great thing for Australian football because how many coaches are there? There's Joe Montemura who's doing a good job with the women in England and, and there's Ange and, and the other guys under him uh, flying the flag here in in Yokohama doing such a superb uh, job. You know, it should be, uh, in my opinion, uh, more highly fated in, in Australia so it's good on the, uh, the box and tannery that you can yes. get it out there and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, Keep, keep, keep pushing the great work that these guys are doing. Well, it is exciting. Now, you mentioned there's two big clubs in uh, in Japan that are interested in Ange Postacoglu, but uh, that's a nice segue to the superpower of Japanese football. Urua Reds are into the semi-final of the Asian Champions League. They dispatched of Shanghai SIPG. Um, what sort of impact uh, has that result had in uh, in Japan and in Tokyo in particular, Scott? Well, that might be one of the big clubs that I'm referencing. Yeah, I think it might be. They 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 they've been in um, all sorts of bother actually domestically. I think they've won one in their um, uh, last nine in the league. They're actually on the verge of relegation. Uh, you know, it's, it's a club obviously that Australians uh, know well. They've been frequently involved in the ACL. They were champions uh, of the competition uh, two years ago, and um, it's quite an amazing situation. They've they've been absolutely diabolical in the league, like one of the worst teams going. They've got a brilliant uh, squad. You know, some some great young Japanese talents and very good uh, foreigners. Of course, Andrew Naboot was there for the first. Uh, six months of the year as well, um, and uh, yeah, just um, they've got uh, complete split personalities in, in in Asia. They keep playing very well and and getting results, but uh, their domestic form has been 
uh, truly awful. So you, you could have a very unusual situation of being the Asian champions and being down in J2, which I don't know uh, if Ange would be so keen. <laughs> no, exactly. Hey, Scott, uh, mate, look, thank you so much for coming on to help us celebrate this episode. Um, Ange is really you know, off the radar in Australia, but uh, he'll still and, be and back that's, on Scott's it absolutely right. When he says that uh, we should be fading uh, the performance and uh, the results of Ange, I've been sort of tracking it through the course of mm-hmm. the season, and it's just been unbelievable. And all of the other Aussie names. Yeah, really. it's just been unbelievable. Yeah. So Scott's done a done uh, their journey a great uh, a great justice for all the listeners of Box to Box around Australia. Well, we might get John again in about four or five weeks' time, uh, you know, as it gets closer to the uh, crescendo of the season, Scott, and hopefully we'll have some, you know, really good stories to tell. Yeah, yeah, that'd be um, yeah, that'd be great. You know, maybe we can get you, um, yeah, one of the coaches or something to come on the show as well, because um, yeah. like I say, you know, there's you know, we we talk there's not so many uh, Australian players doing things at big clubs abroad, but there's um, yeah, there's three or four Australian coaches that are really uh, flying the flag and uh, the flag. And it's just such a shame that um, not so many people in Australia know what they're doing. And, and then these guys um, are at the very peak of their craft. And, and when, you're, when you're getting someone like Guardiola coming up to you and saying you're playing how we want to play, then um, that's, that's pretty high praise indeed. Sure is, mate. Well, enjoy the rest of the food festival, mate. We can hear uh, the, uh, the sounds resonant in the background. And, and we'll talk to you again real soon, Scott. Good radio. Box Centenary, boys. You've got to uh, get it rolling for the rest of the show. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Scott McIntyre. He's been Asia. Scott McIntyre, a man who knows every single thing about like, football, mm. let alone football in Asia. All right, well, uh, we're going to jump back into Europe. Derek's been uh, listening intently. He's prepared in the hot seat. Um, and um, we're going to sort of reflect on a, what has been a big week in Champions League, but um, but also uh, another big week ahead in, uh, in the EPL. So stick around because that's all coming up on Box to Box after the break. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And storage key. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And we gave a shout out to our mates earlier on from Chemist Warehouse. Another big shout out to... The other group of people who have uh, kept this show on the road, and that is Storage King, Michael Tate, Tony Scalias, Dave Redman, Michael Alafarchi, all big listeners to the program. Some of our most regular listeners, I often get messages from Michael and Luca uh, in the head office to uh, to uh, um, say they enjoyed a particular piece of the show. So, you know, the kings of storage moving in more, it says it all. Everybody needs storage, no matter what size your home is. What number. Great football people they are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, Michael Alafarchi is a huge fan of Sydney FC. He's only ever happy if the men and the women are winning, and uh, he's uh, he's just one of the, the, the great blokes. And uh, we uh, are so grateful for Storage King's support over the years to, to help us uh, put our show out every single week. So to all the uh, the great people of Storage King, not only in the head office but around the country, 160 stores around Australia and, of course, uh, New Zealand, uh, if uh, you're listening over there. So the kings of storage are moving and more. Another year under the belt and, uh, and another great thank you to our mates over there. Now, in Europe, we've already... Uh, had a, a roundup with Rob Tanner in the first hour, but um, but Derek, um, you know you've got uh, um, a fair bit more to get through. Yeah, that's right. I've, um, Champions League is back, Rob. A fair bit more, he says. I know. I, went, I was running the last two mornings listening to to the games, and I thought, ah, oh, Liverpool, nil all will do. And then you know, as I was getting to the end of my trundle, uh, Napoli um, uh, got those two late goals. Yeah, not a good start for the uh, the two finalists from from last season. Of course, Liverpool mm. going down. 2-0 to Napoli and, and Tottenham last night, obviously losing. But I think uh, Liverpool lost three games yeah. in 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 um, last year's campaign, and we all know Spurs Early were days. on the brink of um, getting knocked out. Yeah, yeah. So Liverpool became the first team since AC Milan in 1994 to lose mm. 
their opening game as champions of the tournament. It's also the first time in 31 mm-hmm. games that Liverpool have lost in any competition. 31 games. Well, we'd prefer to have that loss um, in a comp where it doesn't really count, um, mm-hmm. rather than um, to you know lose we, in, in the Premier League. We says. Well, I, I, we. I, I make no bones about um, being a non-biased. We um, thought you were observer. Wolves, Rob. Sorry, are you not Wolverhampton? I oh, made I'm a part Wolves as well, uh-huh, but okay. uh, and and, and, and uh, yeah. Yeah, well, we love Hull because of Jackson Irvine. Yeah, he's, he's did I tell you I've been over there? Yeah. He's himself in. Yeah. I love watching the the start of games at the Molyneux, um, where when when they sing um, the song, uh, the um, oh, what's it called? Keep going, Derek, and I'll tell you in a moment. As yeah. he was drinking his bovril, Derek. And eating my balty chicken Not pie. Balty. <laughs> yeah, look, Liverpool had the chances to to actually win this game, but ultimately Napoli um, came up trumps in that one, and it was the same result in this fixture last season as well. The other finalists, Tottenham, drew to all. They'll be disappointed because they were 2 0 up in this game, but uh, as um, Rob alluded to before, um, uh, even though they, know, were, they, they, were, of, they were away from home, but it was yeah. it was only Olympiacos. So. Yeah, although Olympiacos, to be fair, were really lively. It was a lively atmosphere, and they pressed well. You know, looking at the standout results here, I mean, horrible result for Real Madrid last night, losing three nil to a PSG side that didn't have any strikers at all available, and a, a Real Madrid old boy. Um, Di Maria coming back and reminding everyone what an absolutely fantastic talent he is and really probably slipped, you know, didn't have a good time at United, probably slipped the ra- slipped off the radar a bit. But what do you think, boys? Uh, does Zidane under pressure a bit? Uh, of course. He has to be. They, just Their form's been awful in all competitions, so I expect uh, there'll be pressure mounting, put it that way. Yeah, a bit more conventional for Manchester City. I feel like they're always playing Shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League. Yeah, I don't yeah, know why. Every on. time I look, it's always they seem to have this fixture. It was back to routine after their loss against uh, Norwich. A great game between Atletico Madrid and Juventus. Hector Herrera, the most Spanish-sounding name I've ever heard, um, scored a dramatic equaliser to get a point. And the, so, the result uh, on Thursday morning that uh, I sort of, Popped my eyes out when I looked at it. it was Dinamo Zagreb four goals, Atalanta zero. So the Serie A team um, going down to the Croatian team. That was a shock for me. So yeah. I think Dinamo had lost their last eleven or twelve Champions League matches. So mm-hmm. it was a significant drought that they've broken here. Just yeah. a question for you, Derek. So uh, Juventus last won the Champions League in '94, despite yes. winning the last eight Serie A titles. Why do you think it is that they struggle in the tournament, Rizzo Sari? wants them to just relax, but I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. They've always had a quality squad. Um, I think partly the relative weakness of the Serie A until, you know, you'd argue it's getting a bit more competitive now, but a bit like um, Celtic in Scotland, when you're just bowling over the same teams every week, I think there's that lack of competitiveness. Also, I think uh, you might remember that, you know, Italian football in the 90s was all de rigueur. Um, but really they kind of got left behind by some of the more progressive European tactics in terms of pressing game and tiki-taka. And I just don't think, you know, that a kind of def- the stodgy def- Italian uh, mindset, I think, probably struggled as well. Well, that was synonymous with um, high performance in all of the big tournaments, whether it was mm. the Euros or the World Cup. I remember being there in the 1990s when uh, Inter were um, the flavour of the month. They won uh, the, um, what was then the... the, um, the the copper um Cabernet's uh, cup yeah and yeah. uh and going into town driving around the um the duomo the, the cathedral in uh, treviso with my my mm-hmm. cousins my wife's cousins 
Hey, um, a result, another result that was a bit of a standout was you don't expect a Russian team to beat a German team in Champions League away from home. Lokomotiv yeah. Moscow, two goals away from home to Bayer Leverkusen. So that was a bit of a result that shocked me a little bit too. The old Lokomotiv Moscow, it's been a long time since they've been in Champions League. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is a tough place to go to, you know, some of these, uh, when you go to Moscow in the middle of the winter. But yeah, but they've, they've won that uh, yeah, in, in Germany. In Germany, yeah. yeah. So you don't think about these teams travelling yeah. too well. Um, a, a result I would pick out is um, Red Bull Salzburg 6, Genk 2, two yeah. and a teenage striker Erling Braut Haaland. Three goals. He's the son of ex-Leeds player Alfinger Haaland, who, of course, famously, his career was ended by Roy Keane, um, I can't say what Roy Keane said in the book because it's a bit sweary, but um, he's the absolute doppelganger of his dad. He's an absolute prodigy and he scored uh, a hat-trick and he became the youngest hat-trick scorer in the Champions League since. And he's, uh, Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I don't... I did hear this, and I can't. It's on the tip of my tongue. What is it, Derek? Wayne Rooney for Manchester United on his debut at home. And what a game that was! And it was a fabulous hat trick ended with a free kick. If you remember, he just popped it over the wall into the corner, and um, you know the rest is history. So, look, it it was a really, really interesting start to the um, to the to the Champions League. um, this season and you know some some big shocks there i did hear that the young salzburg striker um his dream is to win the premier league playing for leeds so uh well he was born in leeds yeah Um, so but leeds born and bred and and obviously his his dad is synonymous with that with that club um the other results um bayern munich three red star belgrade nil the worst game brugger nil galatasaray nil um we haven't mentioned chelsea yet so chelsea lost and you know, we were talking a little bit before with um, with, with with Rob about um, Chelsea's up and down season, and again, Lampard hasn't won at home this season. That's true. So he hasn't won a, a home game yet, and you know they're not used to losing at home, particularly in the Champions League. And obviously, there was a bit of a to do over the penalty. So Ross Ross Barkley, um, oh, I know that was ridiculous, missed, wasn't he? but he was he having his Jorginho talking to him and a few of his teammates coming over, and you know it couldn't couldn't be more off putting if you tried. Mm. And Barcelona, Barcelona and Dortmund, uh, a nil all draw in Dortmund, uh, they'd be disappointed. They hit the bar three times. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, Mark Andre Testegen, who you have to say now is one of the great goalkeepers of European football, um, making a good penalty save there. And I suppose this game is most notable because um, Messi has, has, has made his comeback. And of course, Barcelona. I don't know if you read about the 16-year-old who scored a couple of yep. goals for them yep. at the weekend because of the absence of uh, Messi, Messi and Suarez. And I'll get Fatty, uh, was the name I think. Yeah, yeah, Fatty. Yeah. yeah, he just he just looks sensational. So. Uh, yeah, look, really interesting round of fixtures, and of course, um, a couple of interesting Europa League ones coming up: Arsenal in action, Manchester. United Not the least action. of which is Wolves, and that that yeah. I did check. I'm not going to pretend that it came to me, but I did do some homework, and uh, the song that I was referring to. So, if you ever get the chance to go to the Molyneux, it's Hi-Ho Silver Lining, uh, which I know Villa play as well, but uh, I heard it at the Molyneux, and uh, it's Jeff Beck. Just get a, get a load of this. Pat's going to play a little bit of it. I love watching the, the Wolves games. 
So the boys from Braga are going there. Stand by, stand by, here we go. And this is what pairs on the back of the deck. Now, I didn't know that was coming up when I walked into the stadium. I tell you, I can never take that memory out of my mind. Well, the boys from Braga will be there in uh, as we record the show on a Thursday night, mm-hmm. Friday morning Australian time. Uh, after this goes to air, they'll obviously uh, the boys of Braga will hear that uh, because they go to Wolverhampton in uh, Europa. Yeah, Arsenal have got a pretty tricky assignment away at Frankfurt, who are shorn of some of their top players now. Uh, but that's a tough place to go. They got to the semi-final last year. Um, Manchester United home uh, against Astana. Uh, and Celtic have got a tough fixture away at Rennes, who actually are, are, are looking good at the uh, the start of the uh, the French season. So the, the matches just keep on coming, boys. They do. And uh, one match that, uh, just because I'm feeling like we're missing Dino, mm. I know that we did speak to him at the start of the show, but uh, the big Dino, there is a bit of a rumour going around that if Derby get rolled by Leeds... In a big way, he's not coming home. They <laughs> play each other this weekend. Uh, Derby have to go to Leeds. Remember the last time Derby went there? Uh, that was in the um, the playoffs, wasn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. Derby got the points. Yeah, so I remember. I that. imagine that'll be a, a game of quite a bit of interest. Hmm, it will be. All right, well, look, we'll wrap it up there. We talked a bit about the Premier League earlier on, and um, we uh, we have a special edition of Stoppage Time because um, the, the Michael Parkinson of the studio, Derek Dyson, <laughs> um, a former ITN man, has, uh, has got a few curly ones up his sleeve to ask us about the, uh, the four-year, 200-episode history of Box to Box. So uh, let's have a bit of fun with that after the break. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is Stoppage Time. And in the great tradition, uh, we declare that the Stoppage Time, the fourth official, tells us that there are eight minutes and 30 seconds to go. And as we've uh, mentioned throughout the show... Derek is going to turn his laser focus onto Edge and I to uh, reflect on some of the, the history of this program. And uh, you know, we know we've had uh, quite a few listeners who've tuned in since the early days, and uh, they'll have known some of the hijinks we got up to. And uh, some of the funniest ones were with our mate Mark Van Aken um, in that famous Christmas episode uh, of a couple of years ago, where he uh, he used to do some of his uh, his impressions. And uh, shout out to Marco, and uh, all the best to you, mate. Um, Ben Soro Perez, the former Brighton and Hove Albion media man. Who, we, we, what do we call him? The Brighton and Hove Albion insider. Yeah, yeah, that was it. That's what we used to call him. Uh, who never believed. He was the one person who every single week, no matter what Leicester did, he would not concede. That's that right. He wouldn't pick the them, would he? No, never. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and and of course, um, Nigel, our panel up, who's um, who's who's not in tonight, and uh, the great Paddy Panetta, the Juventus man uh, extraordinaire, who's uh, yes, who who wears his tonight. black and white uh, striped pajamas to bed every every night. Passionate football man, he is. His wife says, "Get them off." <laughs> not the least of which, passionate football man, a legitimate passionate football man, is the bloke sitting opposite me, Derek Dyson. So, Derek, we uh, we met uh, all this year for the first time, and uh, mm-hmm. we quickly uncovered your. Uh, it's been a quick romance between you two, I might add. You just, yes. oh, I just noticed there's a deep sense of affection between you two. Yeah, Derek's a great bloke. And Sandra, be a little worried, Rob. Yeah, well, look, um, you know, I'm sort of getting in touch with my feminine side, but I don't think Derek and I are uh, getting that in touch, Edge. Okay, you know? I just thought I'd check. <laughs> well, you say you say bromance, fellas, because actually the first question I was going to ask was about your bromance and uh, mm. where and when did you first meet, um, and was it love at first sight? 
Well, I'll let Rob tell that story. Well, I think um, it would have been about 1998. Yes, You, you were um, uh, working at the... Uh, I was an old, washed-up Heidelberg boy, and uh, yeah. I went down and got a job in AFL. And at Geelong. And, Geelong, um, that's right. So it was, in the, uh, it was in the early days of the Brian Cook, Frank Costa era down yeah, there, the Geelong was, Cats, yeah. uh, and um, and there were these great predictions of what was going to happen with the club and this, this incredible future and money that was going to be spent on the stadium and all the premierships that they were going to win. A lot of people credit Frank Costa, the chairman. Brian Cook, the, the, um, the CEO, <laughs> and Gary Ablett. But there was but, an engineer room, wasn't there? Oh, of course. <laughs> the man, the puppeteer, the maestro, the godfather of it all. Nothing would have happened without Michael Edgley. So we've we've um, we've been mates, and uh, there's been periods where we haven't seen each other for a yeah. long time. But, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's sort of where it goes, isn't it? It is, it is. And uh, we've always uh, talked about the world game, haven't we? We've always mm. talked about the world game, and um, when... Uh, I can't remember whose idea it was to get together and have yeah, a show. Yeah, yeah. Um, Derek, you asked about that, wasn't it? And um, yeah, I think it was yeah. one of those, just a, out of a discussion, we thought, why don't we have a crack at doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we... we, we um we realised that we, like, I mean, obviously you've got a far deeper pedigree. I'm just sort of a jumped-up fan in many respects, but uh, um, but you knew the football people and I knew the radio business and um, and we uh, we sort of connected it there. Yeah. What about the name? Who came up with the name? And oh, were there, I, I do were know that other story. Other names as yeah. well? Yeah, well, um, we um, we were at Media House, um, which is the home of 3AW in Melbourne, and we'd had a group meeting, and we were trying, amongst many things, our original plan was a working working project that lasted a year called the Global Game, and uh, and I came up with this idea that we should go through a website, which was the A to Z of football terms, and we'd just keep going through it until we found one that was really obvious. And I think what happened was that Mark Van Aken and I, at the same time, saw Box to Box. So you got to B. Yeah, we did. And we all agreed. We did straight away. Pretty much. That, that yeah. was, that was to From be... one end of the pitch to the other in yeah. the world game. Yeah. Well, let's get Edge on the mic because it's been a bit of Rob so far. So <laughs> what about that first episode, Edge? Can you remember the first episode? Was well, we a... actually did a pilot, um, yeah. which which uh, we did a pilot in uh, Studio 5, I think it's here, mm. which is the – and we're all uh, big men, you know, myself and, and Dean and Ben Soro Perez and Rob, and we cramped into Studio 5. We did the pilot, and uh, it went pretty good. And I, mm. I must admit the format of the pilot really – didn't change a lot, did it, from no. when we eventually got the show up. So that was my early re- reaction was to that. But I'd done a little bit of radio before. Um, Mark had done quite a, quite a bit of bit. So um, it, there was just a good chemistry from the word go, mm. and uh, we've had an enormous amount of fun. And we're all pretty feisty as well. We've had a few yeah. stinks over the journey, but that's fun. That's uh, yeah. that's what it's all about. I mean, you, what, you, what you see is what you get. I don't think anyone's uh, pretending to be anything else. But we've had pretty are. much the who's who of Australian football mm-hmm. on this program over the last 200 episodes. Uh, yeah. Anybody who's a regular listener would, uh, w- I hope they've enjoyed the guests and the insight they bring. What have been your favourite stand-up moments over 200 episodes, even guests or? You know. I, some of my crosses from World Cups have been amazing. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, in the taxi in in Moscow, uh, mm. uh, there, that was uh, that was a good one uh, in the taxi in, in the taxi in Moscow. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, there's that that's been a lot of fun. Um, the people that I work with overseas, they don't necessarily know much about box to box, and then they uh, hear me get on the radio, get on the because it's obviously during the middle of the day when uh, we're recording it. So yeah, they're, they're my good memories overseas. So well, my, my best that. memory was an episode that I wasn't on when uh, it was over somewhere. I referred to it earlier on when Mark Van Aken it was legendary. used to it was do fantastic. some very fu- yeah. very funny um, impersonations, and um, and the boys had recorded the show, and uh, I was uh, shopping for Christmas, and uh, and Mark uh, Edge was. Doing 
doing this great interview with with Mark in in various different characters, um, Simon Hill, Michael Lynch, um, uh, just Goose just, Hitting, Goose Hitting, yeah. of course, his Goose is amazing, and um, and I just was wetting myself listening in the car. It was very very funny, but we, we, um, but we set it up as a Christmas interview and mm-hmm. uh, a Christmas party, the box to box Christmas party, and yeah. we just and Dino was just cracking up laughing was, in the background. It was it and was it was hilarious. just like because uh, I've worked with uh, I, at that stage I'd worked with Mark for twenty years doing different things and it was just you know um, like we were in the backseat of a taxi just talking <laughs> shit and uh, it, it, but, but it, it came off pretty well. Yeah. But um, yeah. I've um, I've actually devised a bit of a quiz for you guys based around the theme of two hundred and and soccer so get ready for this one. Um, the question one uh, hands on buzzers is which current Brazil star wore the number two hundred for Santos to celebrate his two hundredth match for the team. Oh, current Brazil current star. Brazil star. Neymar. Here's Neymar Jr. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. The big Santos 200. I remember mm-hmm. that. Um, which team's currently ranked 200th in the FIFA rankings? They uh, are Asian and they lost 1-0 at home to North Korea in the last round. Testing your knowledge here, Edge. Sri Lanka. Here's Sri Lanka. <laughs> oh, well done. 1-all. 1-all decided. It's the uh, tie-break question. That was, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty good on the Asian stuff. Yeah, no, no, that's that's good. All, all square and one to play. Um, there have been five players in the Premier League era that have scored more than 200 goals for an individual Beep. club. Who are they? Thierry Henry. Yep. Alan, Alan Shearer. Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney. Uh, Frank Lampard. Yeah, just one more. I think Rob's winning 3 2 here. Plays for Manchester City. Aguero. Aguero. Yes. We would have got those. (laughs) Look at Willem in there. Willem's doing backflips in there. (laughs) Oh, well done. All right. Hey, guys, we've only got 30 seconds left. We could have gone for heaps longer on that, couldn't we? We could have, yeah. That was fun. Well, Derek, thank you. It's been great having you in again. Um, And is Dino back next week? Uh, no, the week after. Okay, yeah. well, you're back next week again, um, hopefully. Uh, yeah. Paddy, thank you. Willem, Edge, it's been great. Let's hope for 200 more, Rob. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, all of our listeners, uh, we hope you join us next week and for many, many more episodes to when come. When we go from one end of the pitch to the other. In the world game.